Everybody, welcome to the guest segment of the Common Sense Show. We're really glad we could be with you, pleased to be with you, especially during these very difficult and challenging times. And I want to remind everybody, please take the time to enjoy your family. Take the time to worship your Lord. Don't change your routines that much, except you might want to use some common sense practices when you're out. We are the show here at the Common Sense Show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time and our total goal here is to provide you with usable information as close to the absolute truth as we can humanly make it no mainstream media bias here we are brought to you by a couple of people that keep the lights on for the common sense show one of them is our storable food company mps now unlike other storable food companies and i don't know that all of them are doing it but a lot of them are doing it where they're selling their food to the government. Ours will not. They have refused the offer, and they were asked to be bought out 100%. And they said, no, this is for our customers. And they're still meeting demands in terms of getting the food out to people. However, because supply has gone up 100-fold in 35 days, there are delays depending on where you're at in the country. Some people are getting theirs in about 10 days, Some people, it's taking six weeks. I can't sit here and say what the guarantee is. I can guarantee you this. We have the food at this present time to cover all orders, and you will get your orders. And really, if you're looking at, if you're six weeks out, worst case scenario, let's say even eight weeks, you still have time. Because we're looking at projections right now, and our dire projections run out about two and a half months. So you still have time, and you should be ordering. And I'm going to tell you, the the prices are not going up. Most people are price gouging. We're not. We're not. In fact, actually, the four- and two-week packages are still at the unreasonably low price of almost 40% off the original retail price. And when you go up there, you'll just see the price. But I'm telling you, they've knocked the price down two months ago, and they've kept it down. And that's for the four- and two-week supplies. And you can order as much as you want as long as supplies last. How do you get your food? Go to preparewithdave.com. Now, one more thing I want to tell you that these people keep the lights on for us. It's the good people at Noble Gold. Now, I am a customer, and I'm getting ready to make another purchase. I believe in what they do. They're honest. Now, because I know them and because I advertise for them, I've got to know the two owners. I know the staff. I know how they operate. I trust them implicitly. I know their system inside and out. You have to sometimes take the word of somebody, and I hope I've built up enough credibility you'll take my word. And people say, Dave, you can't eat gold. You can't fire bullets with gold. Why do you want gold? Because at the end of every crisis, real, perceived, imagined, doesn't matter, there's going to be winners and losers. And if you keep all your money in the bank, you are going to be a loser. If you diversify into things like precious metals, noble gold, for example, you're going to come out the other side much farther ahead than those did not plan for the aftermath of the crisis. This is why I'm pushing this. And if you've got uh, excess cash, more than two or three months in the bank, you need to be buying gold and silver. How do you get a hold of Noble Gold? Well, you simply call them. 877 877-646-5347. 877-646-5347. On the line with us in this semi-emergency broadcast during these dire times is our resident prepper expert, Robert Griswold of ReadyMadeResources.com. 
and Bob has agreed to come on and I'm going to project a couple of scenarios to him that we could definitely see in the somewhat near future and I do see these things happening and I'm going to ask Bob from a prepping survival standpoint what are the best options Bob welcome to the show I'm really glad you could join us well, Dave, as you know, I always I enjoy doing this program very much. We always get a lot of positive response back from it. Yes. Uh, I think the interaction we have back and forth really, uh, I think it explains a lot to people. Um, and I think we both uh, have a different perspective. So when those two perspectives come together, I think it really kind of lock a lot of issues people have or questions people have. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. But um, this is not the time to debate whether or not people should be prepping people need to be prepping and I'm not going to talk about all the preps I've done Bob but my wife and I spent the majority of the day on Friday prepping in many different areas and we're not done we're not done every time we go out of the house we have a list and if we're going by somewhere where hey this is something we said we needed to get we stop and get it we're taking this very very seriously well, Dave, I mean, you know, all you have to do is just read the, the news of the day, and I think it, it's being taken very, very seriously um, by the government. Uh, I, I think that they are downplaying it to you and I because, you know, they, they want to protect the economy. Exactly. I understand that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand it. The, the economy uh, is what's going to keep people employed and, and what's going to create prosperity for us. But at the same time, the economy is not more important than individual people's lives. And so... I, with that, I just say, you know, in, in some ways you're going to be on your own, and we'll get into that in a bit. But, you know, when we see that the main virologist in the United States, Harvard-educated doctor, comes on CBS News and basically tells the people that this is going to be a very, very, you know, eventful situation. This could be much worse than the other flus that people got all worried about. And that uh, 40 to 60 percent of the population could become infected, and that he said, in his own words, millions could die. Now that's what he said. That's mm-hmm. not me. So this isn't the, the the and I'm not using this against anybody. The, the tin foil hat, Alex Jones. Let's hype up, hype it up, make fu- you know fun. And even though I think Alex Jones is right, um, but that's what they, they they portrayed it as. Oh, this is Alex Jones hype. This is the main virologist in the United States, you can watch it on CBS, it's there, saying these things. This is not, you know, the alternate news media that they love to ridicule and poke fun of. And now and more and more people are coming out and saying that this is going to be catastrophic. There are some states that have had, you know, 100 mid cases and have had, I think, 16 die. Washington, I think it's one of them. Dave, if I do that division, I mean, that's that's a pretty high percentage rate of people who died. Now, I know there's extenuating circumstances. They could have been immune-compromised or health-compromised people to begin with, and they were the unfortunate ones that got it. But at the end of the day, you know, if you even have – I think Mike Adams did the figures, and he and his figures were extremely low. Um, he was using very, very conservative figures. He came up with a 2.4 million uh, deaths also. Well, you but know, that, listen, don't. listen. The Spanish flu. This is why – I wonder why social media is freaking out. Uh, we don't want wild-eyed conspiracy theories. Well, was the Spanish flu a wild-eyed conspiracy theory? When you yeah. have a new pathogen that's introduced, and this is clearly new, then that's people novel. can expect novel. this to happen. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I want to move away from the discussion of the nature of the coronavirus and this and that so the censors don't go crazy. 
because I want to get into something I want to help people with that's not going to get censored. I, listen, I don't mind getting censored, but I don't want to censor when it's a lower level priority in the report than the high level priority, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. want to sacrifice number one for the sake of broadcasting number two. So I want to get into something that really greatly worries me. Okay, I have money. I'm going to use myself as the example. I have my home out in the rural deserts. There's about 300 of us out here spread out over God's creation. And uh, we have to drive about 20 minutes, almost 20 miles to get to civilization. We don't have a good grocery store. We really have nothing within 20 miles. Okay, and we've come to accept that. That's what we wanted. But there's a price to pay. Now, if I need to go to the doctor, for example, like I'm having eye surgery soon, if I, if I have to go to the doctor, I might go into the doctor's office and be there for three hours. And maybe my wife is home and my son, let's say well, my son goes to school about 40 miles away, 45 miles away from where we live. Now, I want to just pose this scenario. This has already happened around the world. People woke up in Milan, Italy, and all of a sudden the barricades were there. That's what they were met with at daylight. And all of a sudden, all the restrictions came down. And if you were on the wrong side of the barbed wire, you weren't getting home. And if you were on the inside of the barbed wire, and that wasn't your home, it is now. And what I'm worried about is if I'm, let's say, in North Phoenix, and I'm 30 miles away from my home, but I'm 15 miles away from my son, so I try to drive to my son as closest, and I meet barricades. So I turn around, use side streets, and I'm trying to get back to my home, but I've got to go on a highway at some point to get through, and I can't do it. Bob, what am I going to do? Well, first of all, um, you know, during this time, we need to really evaluate the travel. Now, if, if it's a, a medical emergency, then you, you're going to have to get some type of treatment. So, but no, it, but I'm it, talking it, about getting it, home, not about right, treatment, okay. but about getting I'm home. I'm just saying, it, it, don't go if you don't need to go. Unless it's an emergency, don't go. If this thing breaks out, don't go, because you could easily find yourself in that scenario. And I think millions of people around the country or world have found themselves in that scenario. So the, the key is stay home as often as you can. But if you cannot, here's what I would recommend. And I think it's the only choice you have. You can be barricaded. The roads will be unpassable. They have two things I've talked about so strongly. One, radio communication. Now you're 15 miles away. That's well within a range of ham radio. So you'd be able to coordinate back and forth with the person you're trying to reach. And second, if you had to do it, I would uh, I would do this. I would have a bug out bag in my car, okay, fully equipped with water. I have a camelback. Um, those of you who don't know what a camelback is, it's basically an internal bladder canteen in my backpack. I would have some food rations. I would have compass. I would have printed maps, printed maps, not something on your cell phone because that can be turned off and you won't be able to use your GPS to get yourself home. I would also pre plan this route, you know, of ways to get home. But bugging, bugging home off-road will be the only way. And again, here's the second thing I harp about a lot or talk about a lot, night vision. If I have a pair of night vision with me, I can easily hike home at night. And that is going to make you far less visible 
to even government agencies because most of them they might be flying over with some fleer or something to that effect but if you're in if you're walking home especially where you would live in maybe a desert area where it's flat and open no trees to hide behind you're going to be pretty easy pickings um but if you're doing it at night you have the ability to mask yourself and even if you get a a um uh, you know, one of those mylar blankets that's camouflaged on the outside and mylar on the inside. It 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 does it does help block your signature to some effect. Uh, with thermal, definitely. With night vision, to some effect. But having night vision so that you can get home, having communication so that you can get home, and also then knowing how to get home off road. Now. To me, that is the only option you're going to have unless you can pull an ultralight out of your pocket and fly home, uh, which I'm being tongue-in-cheek. So bugging home, and that's the term, bugging home, is the only way you'll be able to do it. And that means that you have a decent backpack. You've actually thought ahead and put some wool socks. This is so important, wool socks. Wool does not create friction like cotton does, so it doesn't give you the blisters that cotton does. Wool socks. So good shoes you can hike home with. If you live on uneven terrain, you could have something that protects your ankles from, you know, ratcheting your ankle. We've all probably done that once or twice. So something that goes a little higher up on the ankle. You're going to want to make sure you have the ability to, you know, uh, hydrate, and that's going to be critically important. Um, probably some electrolytes if it's in the summertime so that you don't lose all those salts, and then you start having muscle fatigue and muscle cramp. Um, I had a doctor a while ago tell me that when I was working out in the sun a lot, I was building a lot of decks and stuff like that around my property. And, you know, you're out in the middle of the sun. It, man, that beats you. It beats you down. And um, he said, just drink a little Pedialyte. It'll make a huge difference. And lo and behold, I did that. And putting those salts back in my body, uh, magnesium, potassium, and uh, sodium, uh, I did. I could work longer. I could I could go further. I didn't get fatigued as quick. So having that in there, some electrolyte salts, which you can buy, um, you know, several people make them. You can get them on the line. But having that, and especially living in a desert climate, you know, having a compass, having the hard maps, having some survival gear in there, some meals, that is the only way you're going to be able to do it. And and I want to address something. And that means, you know, maybe practicing it because if you've not hiked in a while, maybe a few extra pounds on you, um, you 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 have to address that, and and it can get hard. So you want to maybe see if you can even do this thing. And if you can't, even in, even us older guys, we our bodies will remember, our bodies will get in shape, and we can learn how to do that. But so so that's what's at play. Okay, here's Bob Griswold. You know, I would probably be the main defender of my family. Now, I have some friends and stuff like that, but let's just say I'm the main defender of the family, and I'm out. If I don't make it home, that leaves a huge gap in the protection scenario for my family. So, you know, getting home, it's not an option if, it's I have to do it. And so, Dave, I'm saying that to people, that you need to have that bug home bag in your car, equipped with the right stuff, equipped with the right shoes to hike home with. I mean, you don't want to be hiking home in high heels or, you know, some type of, you know, flip-flop type things that you have on if it's warmer weather. Um, You want to have good hiking boots in your car, uh, probably some foot powder, just some things like that. If you don't have the wool socks, maybe some Blistex band-aids if you do get blisters on your feet because, you know, an army marcher's on its feet. So, I mean, you know, 15 miles, the average person's going to work maybe three to four miles an hour. Uh, you know, you've got a day, maybe two days if it's really hot and you need to take breaks to get home. But getting home is the absolute critical thing you need to do. 
Yeah. How do you get around the quarantine blocks? Well, the quarantine blocks might it might just be on the highways. That's what I'm saying. You know, you, that, again, this is the this is the great thing about night vision. You you can see at night, and most people are not going to be able to. So you'll be able to see people seven, eight hundred, nine yards, hundred yards away, and um, you're looking to see if if there anybody out there. But I would get off the road. That's the thing. Get off the road, and know how to hike home off the road. What if you're in a residential area where your trip starts? Well, I mean, again, you just have to be clandestine. Again, this is why I tell people, at night, you're going to have a far greater chance to do it at, during the day. Is there any 100% guarantee, Dave? No. Um, there is no 100% guarantee that you're going to be able to make it home. But, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. Chance favors the prepared person. So the, the better you are to equipped to evade uh, that type of thing, the, the better chances you have of getting home. Out of 100 people, would all of them get home? No. But I would dare say, if you had 50 without the preparations in their car and 50 with the preparations in your car, you could have a much higher percentage of 50 with them than without them. That's the importance, again, of getting maps. You left uh, out one there. important item, though. You know what that is? Um, a G-U-N. Oh, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, that, Dave, you know, that absolutely goes without saying, because right now I'm doing this radio program. I'm in my office. My office is locked. I have a sidearm strapped to me. Um, it, I mean, to me, it's like that's, you know, bread and butter type stuff. It's yes, but you're act, act, actually great for mentioning it. Um, you know, you want to have a firearm, um, you know, of a sufficient caliber with some extra magazines that you can take care of business if need be. Because, Dave, we see people right now fighting over, I'm sure you've seen the videos, toilet paper. Have you seen the videos of people fighting yes. over toilet paper? Yeah. Uh, you know, if if it gets to that point, or should I say what I think when it gets to that point, um, the supply disruptions I think are going to happen no matter what. And people are fighting over toilet paper now when there's still the land of the abundance. What are they going to fight over when they might not be able to get all those things? And the only thing that will stop them is force. And so that's an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, yeah, and you're going to have to have plenty of ammunition. And you better wear an overshirt or a jacket. You should have a jacket anyway. And the reason why is because I think you're going to want to carry that gun so no one knows you have it. Oh, carrying concealed is always far better than, you know, people who want to wear their gun so everybody can see it. To me, that's a, a macho thing that this is going to get you killed because if I was an active shooter and I see that gun, the first person I'm going to shoot is you. Um, it's it, to me, it's stupid to carry a, a open, uh, uh, you know, firearm unless you're out in the woods hunting, and then yeah, you know, you can have a sidearm as a backup weapon. But that you know, the bear doesn't know the difference. Um, but the, the human predator does know the difference. So you, you obviously in the martial arts, it says action beats reaction, surprise. You know, and so if they don't know I have a firearm and I've learned to draw it quickly. And this is, again, this is something of practice, Dave, how to get that firearm. You know, when I, when I, my shirt's covering my firearm right now, but when I grab, when I do my shirt, I pull it all the way up past my armpit to make sure it clears so that I don't have anything obstructing that gun when I pull it out. That's a practice response. And you have somebody fumbling with their shirt and all that. You want to be able to know how to get that firearm out and on duty quickly. Um, because, you know, in a, in a gunfight, Dave, Let's just say two people, one person's trained, one person's not trained, and you know, all of a sudden you've come face-to-face. -face, both of you have guns in a holster of some sort. The person trained 
they're saying is a half a second is going to save his life because the untrained person is going to take about a second and a half to pull that firearm out of his you know, his holster and, and put it to where he's pointing it at you. The trained person can do that in about a second. So a half a second when you fire first and all of a sudden lead hits him, you've won that gunfight with a half a second. And again, this is, again, the whole thing of training scenarios, practicing, practicing in real life, practicing under stress. And again, going back to that scenario bugging home, if you've never done it, if you don't know what your body's capable of, you can't really prepare correctly because you don't know if I got to hike across this terrain, can I do it? How long it's going to take me? What time of the year is it going to be? And, you know, what are the conditions I will face? Will other people be doing it? Whatever, get back to the firearm. So, uh, again, that will be your only way. But, I, again, I, I draw it back that the night vision and the radio communication will be key. The other thing is, just like I just said, do you think you're going to be the only person thinking that, you know, I'm going to bug home uh, off-road? No, there will be other people thinking that. If you can travel at night, you're going to be far better off because most people can't travel at night. Most people are going to try to bed down someplace. And if you know how to read your compass, if you know the way to go, you can you can walk at night. And you'll be able to see people a long way off that are, if there's anybody near you and you'll be able to avoid them. If you're out somewhere in the middle of the day, you both can see each other, so it puts it back on parity. But you always want the tactical advantage. You always want that advantage. You know, in, in what they say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying in a fight. So you want that tactical advantage in the fight. And, and again, if I was bugging home, I would want to predominantly do it at night and then rest during the day, hike at night, rest during the day. Hmm. And I can tell you, Dave, I can tell you, it works. I mean, it works. So Well, that's ta that's classic special forces strategy, too. Well, it, it, it's just classic anymore with, with, with the availability of th this equipment. It's it just, it's just every, anybody can do it. Anybody with, uh, has a physical capability of being able to travel across the terrain to which they find themselves would be able to do that because modern night vision is absolutely mind-boggling incredible. I mean, it is incredible how, I, how clearly I can see. And I've said this before. We've gone out and shot and shoot at night, and on a perfectly black night where you really can't see your hands in front of your face, you know, with the, with the right equipment, I can shoot steel at 200 yards and hit it at about 100% of the time. That's to, to give you an idea of um, an 8-inch piece of steel, a little steel gong, 8 inches in circle, and you can ping, 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 and, you know, just continually hit it. And that, that's what it allows you to do. It's, yeah, that, that's why night, uh, special forces use it, but again, uh, you don't have to be special forces to, be, uh, to appreciate it and to understand the, the, the advantage it gives you. Yeah, it, well, it does definitely give you an advantage. How far can the average person who's not in great shape, how far can they travel each day? Well, hey, that that is a wide. Some people can't travel at all. I mean, you know, some people would not be able to travel at all. And and, and the cold hard facts are there's going to be an attrition rate because, um, you know, and Dave, to the people who are truly handicapped, um, you know, have a disability. You know, I would say. Oh, God protects you. God give you special. God sends somebody your way to assist you to do whatever area you need. We have a friend, a lady who's wheelchair bound, and we would do move heaven and earth to save her. Okay, we would. Um, but for those who can get in shape and choose not to, 
Um, that's a different story. And with that, I would say, you know, some people might be able to travel a half a mile. I mean, the average person who's of average weight, you know, average in shape, should be able to at least travel 10 miles a day. Then you should carry enough food with you to where you would hunker down. Yes. And the, the main thing that you want to carry is water, because that, depending on what part of the country you can be in, you can get a water filter, even a small one like a sorghum mini water filter that you can carry with you. It's like a drinking straw. You can suck water out. Or you can get something a little bit more advanced where you could actually pump it back into your uh, camelback and fill that back up um, and, and do that, depending on the water in your area. Now, in the high desert, you don't have a lot of water. Or even in the low desert, you don't have a lot of water. But if you live like where we live, there's pretty much water everywhere. So it, you can get it, and, and you just don't want to drink the raw water because of the contaminants in it and you know, bacteria. And you, you don't want to survive the coronavirus only to get giardia. You, know? you, you don't want to do that. Um, so that water filter would be critical. And that, again, that's a critical element to put in your bug home bag that you could get there, that you could have pure drinking water. Because survival rule number one when it comes to nutrition is if you do not have water, do not eat that food in your backpack. As hungry as you'll get, don't eat it. It's like drinking salt water. You might be very thirsty, but don't drink salt water um, because that, that food is going to take water out of your body for digestion, and it's going to actually make you dehydrate quicker. You want to make sure you have adequate supplies of water, and that's why keeping water in your car, even if you have a backpack, you might want to get one of those hip belts where you can put an extra couple extra canteens on it, so you can carry adequate water, and carrying uh, you know things on your hip makes it. It's pretty easy to do. Um, so just get a you get old army belt, you know one of those army belts or whatever. They make a lot of new tactical ones out there that you can put all kinds of neat gear on. But you know, water would be king, and make sure you have plenty of water. And again, that's going to depend time of year. Um, you know, you can go to the Middle East right now, and it's a temperate climate. But if you're in the Middle East in the summer, it can be 130 degrees. Same thing in the desert. So, you know, plan for the time when you'll be going home, and, and with anybody's bug home bag, you want to make seasonal adjustments to it. That, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if it's summertime, I would lighten the food, put more water. If it's, um, you know, wintertime and I won't need as much water, I might put a little extra food in there. And, and again, as far as how far you can travel, if you've got a heavy, heavy bag, you're going to travel less. My rule is my bag has everything I could even possibly need in it. But at the time I would need it, I would make an evaluation and dump a lot of it. I mean, if, I, if I'm close to home and I wouldn't need a protective mask, that's going. If I'm close to home, I, I don't, you know, five, ten, say 10, 20 miles, I would get maybe dump some of the food. I'd, I'd want to get as lightweight as I could so that the lighter the weight I am, the faster and further I can go. So I'd, I'd, make, you know, a, I'd make a critical decision at that moment. Let me run something by you. I'm going to put on my other cap, my desperation cap, okay, my Venezuela cap. And I'm walking along the same route as you are, and you're bugging out, and I'm bugging out. And I'm out of food, and I'm out of water, and you have a backpack. You're now my target. Should we carry these supplies in ways that aren't quite as conspicuous, like maybe carry them something flat inside of a, a jacket? It's really difficult to do that. You're not going to be able to. And again, it goes back to night vision. This is what, Dave. I, I I cannot. And it's not. This isn't a sales pitch. I cannot overemphasize the the absolute tactical advantage. It's it's gargantuan that night vision gives you, because I travel at night. That guy's not going to see me. I'm going to be I'm going to be you know keeping in the dark, 
you know, avoiding the light. And 99% of everybody's not going to be able to see me. I'm going to be able to travel for eight, nine hours at night and then find a bug home, a little lair somewhere, you know, and then hunker down during the day. Um, even if, and if it's a desert and it's hot out, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Travel okay. at night, sleep during the day. Yeah, but the, getting, the, getting enough supplies to be at a bug home for, say, even a week, three or four days a week, you're going to have to have a backpack to do that. You need the water filter, the knife, the compass, the maps, the food, the water, and all the accessories that you'll need. Um, yeah, you're going to have to you're going to have to do that. A change of socks, Dave. Have two pairs of socks. And again, I can't. I want to emphasize wool. If you've hiked any distance at all, you know cotton socks will burn your feet. Wool socks do not. And wool socks also wick away. And wool socks in the winter, even if they get wet, stay warm. So uh, you want to put some wool socks in your bug home equipment with a good pair of shoes um, that, you know, again, depending on your terrain, if you're you know, like rocky uh, type stuff, we have uneven, a lot of uneven surfaces. You want something that's going to protect your ankles. You don't want to do that. And, and here's another thing, too. For those of us who maybe are a little older, have arthritis or whatever, or even if you're not used to hiking, and you hike for 10 miles, you're going to swell. I mean, your body's not used to it. You're going to swell. And even though I'm not a big proponent of taking it, putting ibuprofen in your bug home bag, because that's an anti-inflammatory, it will help keep the swelling down. It will help keep the pain down. It's not something I want to take every day. It's not good for you. But in a bug home scenario, you know, if you took uh, 800 milligrams, which I think it's the maximum dose you're supposed to take a couple times a day, that acts as an anti-inflammatory so that your ankles, your feet don't swell, your knees don't hurt, and then any just pains that you do get from physically pushing yourself like that um, are, are mitigated by that type of uh, drug. Now, question for you. I'll do my own example here. It wouldn't be long until I'm out of the country. I mean, out in the country, I should say, the desert. And in traveling at night, I'm going to be encountering some hostels and I don't necessarily mean other people. I mean coyotes and rattlesnakes. What do you recommend? Well, again, you know, it's always keep your head on a swivel. That's a tactical rule. You know, it, it, people, what they, when, when, when you're in an environment under stress, you do get tunnel vision. This is why police and military people are trained to turn your head because your eyes are going to narrow down to where you see maybe 40 degrees in front of you instead of the normal 160 to 180 degrees that you normally see in your peripheral view. You're going to see only what's immediately in front of you. Now, with night vision, the field of view in night vision is about 40 to 42 degrees. Okay, so that's what you're going to see. So especially with night vision, especially even without night vision, keeping your head on a swivel and looking around up and down. Why do snipers in the military always like high ground or higher place elevated positions? Because most people look straight ahead. They no longer look. They don't look up. Um, and that's what you need to train yourself to do when you're in that situation. Is boy oh boy, you want your eyeballs working, and they're not going to be working if you got them pointing straight forward, because nobody attacks you that direction. Okay, so they always attack, attack you from your flanks. Back to my original question, and we'll go back to the flanks in a second. So if I'm walking through a highly dense area with rattlesnakes, what kind of footwear should I have? Is there something that's well, you better have than gators. the other? Huh? Yeah, no, gators. Yeah, get gators. Uh, I don't know if you know what those are. No, I don't. They're Talk actually, about those. Okay, gators are actually things that you would strap around your they, – they go across your shoe all the way up to your – right at your knee, 
and it, they're made out of material that a snake can't bite through. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go in and type in a gator. And if, if you're in that area, again, this is where uh, regional preparation is so important. Um, again, you, you get a left and right. Um, you, you just Google them. You'll, you'll see they come up. Uh, uh, I'm Googling it right now to see what it says here. Um, but, yeah, you, there's a picture, Swiss Army Surplus. There's a picture on, uh, on um, uh, Sportsman's Guide for 20 bucks, uh, a pair of gators, and they zip up. Um, so they, what they do is they protect you from those snake bites. And, again, that's where if you were in a seasonal, I mean, a regional area where you have snakes and the possibility of having them, put boy, oh, boy, buy a pair of gators because they will keep you alive. Snake cannot bite through it. Okay. It's, it's kind of like body armor for snakes. I mean, you know, when you when somebody shoots you in the chest and you got that body armor on, well, it, it'll hurt, but you don't have a sucking chest wound. When you, all of a sudden you've got those gators on and you feel that thing whack your leg and you, you go, all of a sudden it's like there's no bite marks in your feet, you're going to go, whoa, thank God for these things. Um, but again, you can you can just go online and look them up. Um, uh, and it's G-A-I-T-O-R-S. Uh, what is gators. it called? Uh, it's called a like it's not an owl, it's, it's like a gator g a i t o r s um and mm-hmm. that's what they do they go up generally to around your knee um and they protect you from snake bites all right that sounds good recommended too when you're traveling don't start a fire correct yeah yeah um generally not i mean sometimes you might need to if you do need to start a fire learn how to build a fire pit that's where you dig a hole in the ground, and then off to the side, you dig, dig a ventilation shaft so that a foot or so away, you have a hole that comes out of the ground. You can cover the fire. It's all below ground, and it'll draw air in from that, that side hole. You build you know, at the bottom of the pit. You, dig, you start digging a hole that eventually, maybe a foot or so away, comes up and penetrates the ground, and that way that fire will draw air through that hole, but the whole fire will be below the ground. Um, you can just look up fire pit, and it, it, it works real well. It's basically like a rocket stove almost. It'll, it'll burn real well because that air is being pulled into the bottom of the fire through that fire hole, and um, you know if you have to start a fire, it'll do that. Sometimes if it's extremely cold and you don't have the right gear, you, know, it's, you have a choice between a fire and freezing to death, but if it's really, really that cold, there's probably not going to be a lot of other people running around that have the proper gear. Um, but still, fires probably are not one of the best things to have. And if you do make one, make it small, make a fire pit. It's, it, I mean, they're, they're, it'll virtually eliminate most of the light signature of that fire. And keep it small. You, you don't need a big roaring barn fire, you know, to signal. You don't need that. I remember the movie um, uh, Dances with Wolves. And there was this guy out in the prairie, and he had this big roaring fire going. They, the Indians saw the smoke coming up for a long way away. And basically, he said, what an idiot, you know. Uh, and that's basically virtually what he said. But Yeah, you don't want to do that. So, But again, with a fire pit, you can actually, if you need to cook, you need to boil water, you can do that pretty easily. Wow. It's a lot to consider, isn't there? Yeah. Well, again, it's, you know, this is why you want to practice it. You want to practice. I mean, you, you just, you don't buy an AR-15, stick it in the safe, and hopefully one day when you need it, you go out and, oh, what do I do? Which way are the bullets going? You don't want to be in that position. You want to know how to use that weapon. You want to know the best way to use it. You know, when I had John Lovell, um, 
uh, uh, Warrior Poet Society, he came down to some tactical classes with his rifle. And when I was when I was shooting, I would always carry it. I'm shooting right hand, so I'm always carrying the muzzle down to the left, and I'd bring it up on target. Well, he told me at that point, he goes, when you do that, you're dealing with an XY axis because I'm bringing it up and I have to bring it over, okay? And he said, just keep it in front of you, straight front. That way I'm only dealing with one axis. Bring it up, boom. And I can't believe they, how much that improved my shooting. Just that little tip that a professional knew that I didn't know. And, um, you know, so when we, when we allow ourselves to be trained – those little training maneuvers, remember that half second save your life? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that X, Y axis versus just that one axis, it, it, I mean, it, it quicker and better on target. Um, you know, and there's a lots of tips and tricks like that that we learn when we put ourselves in the position. But if we're just sitting home buying gear, sitting on the sofa thinking, you know, we're going to watch reruns of Jeopardy during the apocalypse, you're not going to survive it. You have to actually start taking this stuff and taking it seriously. I mean, there are people right now on planet Earth right now that are in lockdown quarantine that probably never thought they'd be there. The people in northern Italy probably never thought this would happen, and I've been to northern Italy, and it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's just a gorgeous place on the planet, but they're in lockdown. I don't know how much food's going to come in there. I don't know what's going to happen, but you you could find yourself in the position where the grocery stores have run dry, Um, and Dave, I'm telling you segue a bit if 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 this does break out um truck drivers won't drive i mean just think of that one data point uh truck drivers all of a sudden those that'd be rolling fort knox a truckload full of food is a rolling fort knox and uh, you know right now those truck drivers can drive anywhere in the country pretty much drop off their stuff but they can sleep at a rest stop they can do it. but if if it came down to where food became shortages those trucks wouldn't even roll without a military, uh, uh, you know, convoy with them because they would be um, quickly overrun and people would t- steal the food. And you know, if it does break out, we've just seen. Um, I was at Wally World a couple of days ago. All the Lysol's gone. All the hand sanitizer are gone. The toilet paper is almost gone. Um, and that's just really a low-level panic right now, uh, a, a controlled panic, I would put. Um, all that stuff's gone. And all over the country, it's gone. You see these, go, go to Costco, go to YouTube, and look at Costco lines, and you'll just see thousands of people raiding these Costcos for everything they can imagine with their buggies just filled with just massive amounts of, you know, toiletries and soaps and things of that nature. So, um, you know, that, that's in what I would say control panic. Uh, imagine when it turns uncontrolled. Dave, you know, and I want to address the thing with your food. Even if your food is four or five weeks out, this thing's probably not going to be really bad for about two more months. They have time to order. Don't be afraid of putting it on back order for a few weeks. You have time to still, most likely, get the stuff. And don't wait. Don't wait any longer. We we can see this. We all pray to God this just blows over and the effects are minimal. Nobody would want to see this turn into the zombie apocalypse. Uh, only, only insane people would. Um, but you know, we still have some time, a little bit of time. But if if you wait much longer, saying I'm just going to see what happens, and if it if it really does get bad, I'll go buy stuff. You know, you, you know, you won't. You won't do it. Nothing. And I want to give you a data point, Dave. What people are thinking? Heirloom Organics. It's a website. You can go buy seeds. Okay. Go to their website. We are eight to ten weeks out. That's what it says. 
That tells you how deep people are thinking. This, that, that's a tertiary. That's not a secondary effect. That's a tertiary. I'm not, I'm not on planning to have food. I have planned and then planned. If I'm thinking I'm going to be planting gardens in the spring and all this other stuff because the food's not going to be available, there's people now that have really started going down this thing of thinking, okay, what do I need to do? This is the, this is the third and fourth order of effect things they're trying to plan for. And so if that's happening right now, then imagine what's going to happen when the panic becomes real. Well, I agree, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. We need to step aside just for a second. In fact, this is timely, because at the end of every crisis are winners and losers. And one of the things that will determine a winner is how you come out of this economically. And if you've diversified your portfolio, you're going to be in much better shape. I don't trust the banks. The banks will steal your money in a moment's notice. They have a history of doing it. The law lets them do it. So what do you do? You turn to gold and silver. And for help with that, you turn to Noble Gold. No pressure. They'll just simply say, these are your options. This is how we can help you. This is why you want to do it. Noble Gold can be reached at 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347. Make sure you tell them Dave Hodges of the Common Sense Show sent you. We're speaking with survivalist and prepper expert, Robert Griswold of ReadyMadeResources.com. And Bob, I want to talk about something related to what you were on here, but that's communication. Um, unless you're all ham certified, and unless all people in the family, in my scenario, my wife's at home, my son's at the university, and I'm stuck in North Phoenix, and I'm 30 miles from home, and I'm 15 miles from my son, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I need to have communication. I don't know that ham is the best option when you're on the run, when you're out there, because all three of you would have to have it. So are there any substitutes, anything that would work uh, alongside of ham that wouldn't necessarily cause you to have to have a ham radio license? I mean, you can always get other radios, Dave, but in an emergency, you know, what am I going to be concerned with? Am I going to be concerned with maybe getting in trouble with the law or saving my family? You know, you can buy the radios. You can buy ham radios right now. You can buy the longer antennas for them, and um, you can basically learn them and learn what's how the, to use What's them. the range on these other radios? Uh, generally about line of sight, so it depends on where you're at. But if you're in the desert, like you're about 15 to 17 miles. Well, yeah, and if I'm in, an, so, if I'm if in a suburban repeater, area, yeah, I'm not... If you hit a you got 100 miles, you know. So, and the repeaters would probably be up for two or three weeks after the, a real bad, bad pandemic, unless the government would shut them down, because they don't want people communicating. Well, that's what and they're doing in California. Bob, that's what they're doing in California. I know. But they still cannot defeat the HF signals. Um, an HF signal is different than the other ones. It goes up and bounces off the ionosphere, comes back down. That's what gives it its global reach. I, from Little Teleco Plains, Tennessee, can talk to someone in Australia. And it doesn't need any repeater system, anything. It uses the natural ionosphere of the Earth to bounce that signal. So can they be blocked? Yeah, they can be blocked locally. It's hard to block them globally. That's the other importance of having a shortwave receiver like that Cato one I've been mentioning, because I can listen from around the world. It picks up those signals. So it's in the 30 to, uh, 0 to 30 megahertz band, and that's what skips off the atmosphere. I can turn that thing on and I can listen to what's happening in South America and I can listen to what's happening anywhere there's shortwave radio broadcast and you can go online and just google you know shortwave radio broadcast and then you'll pick up all the stations all the channels that the nature of the program religious conservative whatever 
It's it, you can get those schedules now, download them, put them to hard copy. And that way, when it comes, you can learn how to listen for what's going on around the world because, you know, I guarantee you news from, you know, somewhere in South America where they might not be as affected um, is going to be different than news here, which is like, hey, everything's fine. You know, let's go to the beach. Um, you know, if basically because they have an agenda of keeping the economy running. You can listen to London. You can listen to Europe. You mm-hmm. can listen all over the world. So the, having that, that in source of intelligence gathering is, to me, is critical. And then the handheld radios where you can, you can listen. And, you know, one of the things it has, NOAA on it, so you can listen to the weather 24-7. And with radios, and this is one thing, I have to have a ham radio license, yes, to transmit. But 90% of intelligence gathering, Dave, is listening, just even listening on that radio. You never put, push the transmit button ever, just listening. Okay, just scan. You can set it up on scan. It'll stop if somebody's talking, and just listen to what they're saying, because they might give away key critical information that you would need to have. And 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 in that environment, every piece of information is a piece of the puzzle. No matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how, how insignificant it might sound at the moment, you might get another piece of, of information that goes. Oh my gosh, those two plug together perfectly. So writing that down, keeping those notes of what people are saying, what they're talking about, you know, signal strength, all these things are just absolutely critical. So with ham radio, even those ones that you can't use unless you have a license, you can use them to listen. And I'm telling you, 90% of what you're going to want to do is listen. How hard is it to catch someone who might send a signal that they shouldn't send? Um. Technically, it can be done in seconds. Realistically, you know, it's probably not going to happen unless you really start creating a foul of something. Um, and I'm not giving excuse. I'm not giving license to people not get their license. But I'm just saying, if if you were to do that, it's probably not going to happen quickly. Um, but if they're after you, yeah, they can do it in seconds. I mean, okay. just triangulate right in on you. I what mean, about, I, about, can, I can do ahead. it in, in quickly if you're talking and the equipment's not hard it's not like high-tech equipment i can i can direction find you pretty quick and i can actually find out what frequency you're on pretty quickly okay um talk to me about home defense you got to worry about the have-nots coming to get what they didn't prepare for okay there's uh, concentric circles of you know um insulation from the hordes uh I think we asked the question one time, what would you do if people at your front door begging for food? I'd be going to the back door and see who's trying to break in the back door. Um, because, you know, you get the poor girl up there with a baby. I mean, oh, my gosh, that's just like – that would set an alarm bell off in my head. They were like her boyfriend's at the back door. Um, but second of all, I wouldn't let them on my property. I make sure that, you know, no trespassing. You, you don't get it. Some states are different. The, the trespassing laws are different on different states, so it's incumbent on you to figure out what your state allows and doesn't allow. But in those circumstances, it would not be hard to justify that if somebody comes on my property that they are intending malfeasance towards me, evil towards me, and and you know, you know use the it, it 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 at least presents the possibility of using the lethal force, or at least the threat of lethal force to get off. But you don't want to expose yourself. You don't want to go outside and stand in the middle of your yard and say get off my property because at that point you have given away all your tactical advantage. You're standing there in parity with somebody else, and they might have somebody else off to your flank that's just getting ready to shoot you, draw you out, and shoot you. So, you know, you want to set up levels of perimeter. I mean, Dakota alert, there's all kinds of driveway alert, motion sensing alerts that would alert you to people on your property, 
Okay. Uh, talk to me about those again. What are they? Okay. Uh, Dakota Alert makes them, and there's all 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 different kinds. You, actually, there's little motion sensors, so that you and they travel up to about a quarter mile. So you can actually put one down clandestinely, maybe at the head of your road, you know, quarter mile away, and. If all of a sudden people start walking, you have one in your rear flank, your I mean your, your rear, your flanks. So no matter how somebody's approaching your property, uh, you have a little thing in your house. Alert zone one, alert zone two, um, and and what that it would do is it alert that there's people out there, especially at night. Again, you know they're not going to see them, but they're going to move and they're going to trigger the thing, and um, it alerts you that people are out there. So that, that setting that perimeter up, and you have an inner and outer perimeter. So you don't want anybody violating your inner perimeter. That's your sanctum. That's what you don't allow people to violate. So you don't, you don't allow them to come up to your door. Um, you know that that's not an option. Coming up to my door and knocking, you don't do there. Um, on our property, we have a, a driveway that's quite long. I've, I've specifically made it so that once you get on my driveway, you can't turn around. You got to go all the way up and then turn around. So you're trapped. Uh, you know, without doing maybe nine point turns or something. Um, so now that everybody doesn't find themselves in that position, but I would get some type of alert like that. So at night, have it by my bed, and it run it runs on batteries. So you know, alert zone one, alert zone two, and then you know where you know alert zone one. You know that's the alpha quadrant, beta quadrant, delta quadrant, Charlie quadrant. So you know which where alert zone one, alert zone two, three, four are at. And that says that there's people off to our uh, front of our right front of our property, honey. Um, you know that type of thing, okay. and, and that that gives you an electronic advantage. That's intelligence that's being fed your way. That it's, it's they're, and they're cheap, fairly cheap to get. What about stuff. what about visual surveillance? Do you recommend uh, that? <laughs> absolutely, and again, at night visual surveillance means night vision. So um, yeah, okay. I mean, I can look out my window and see quite far away um you know so the, yeah that's that's the, i think it's critically important and then have a weapon i know we all have debates on this but i always recommend the box fed magazine weapon a shotgun is good for a very close quarter combat weapon yes and it is devastating if you get hit by it um but it, they usually have limited magazines some states limit them to three rounds generally about five is the most you can get in there uh, you know, and people think if I shoot a shotgun around, it's going to kill everybody. That's when you know, within 180 degrees of that blast. You know, if, if I'm shooting something 20 feet away, Dave, for the shotgun, that that blast is only that blast radius is only an inch and a half. It it's not it doesn't spread out to where you've got nine million pellets coming out of there and it kills half the population of your city. And that's what people got this image of. I you know, just shoot a shotgun at a crowd, it's going to kill everybody in the crowd. It doesn't do that. And so it's limited, and then takes time to reload it. Time, precious seconds to reload that thing. Whereas with an AR-type box-fed magazine weapon, you have 30 rounds. You know, you you can do that, and I could stick a new magazine in there in just seconds. The advantage to a shotgun is you don't have to be a pinpoint shooter, and uh, the limited ammunition capabilities. That's why you holster a pistol. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again. Uh, I still would recommend, and I think most professionals do today, in close quarter combat, you're not going to miss with a rifle. I mean, you point, you, you just—it's it, instinctive that I've, if I want to, I have a coffee mug in front of me, and I just close my eyes and I point, my, my fingers pointing right at it. Um, you, you instinctively with it, with a barrel like that, you're going to point and you're going to hit what you're shooting at. Now, if, if it's 100 yards or something like that, that's different. But at close quarter combat, it's 
it's a lot lot yep. easier than that. I hear you. So. Bob, we got about a little less than two minutes left. Um, I just want to make sure we get all your contact information out there. Uh, readymaderesources.com is the website. And uh, you have gotten very busy, but you're someone who will advise people on how to protect themselves free of charge. But people need to be mindful about the demands being put on ready-made resources and their staff. And what's that phone number that people can call? Uh, 800-627-3809. We still have plenty of radio equipment, plenty of the night vision equipment. A lot of other stuff is still readily available. Any any of the food or food type things, as as you you know, know, let them go to you on that. But um, it's, folks, in another month, if this thing really gins up, I think even the supermarkets will be stripped. Oh, so I mean, I think the perception of the problem growing large is going to be enough to strip the supermarkets. I don't think we have to be underway or it started. I think the perception of it will cause You're absolutely shortages. right. And people people beating each other over a roll of toilet paper. Um, keep that in mind. Keep that visual image in mind. People fighting over a roll of toilet paper. And I, I saw the thing. One lady had about eight, nine big, big little jumbo packs of toilet paper in her buggy. Somebody came up and tried to take one out. You know, like it was she, because she took the last eight, eight or nine jumbo packs, and this other lady wanted one, and she took it out of her bug, and they got into a fight over it. I mean, it's hey. amazing, amazing. It's just amazing. Again, give your phone number out one more time, please. Eight hundred six two seven three eight zero nine, and re- website is ready made resources, all one word, readymaderesources.com. Wow, um, d- frightening stuff, but necessary stuff for the time that we're living in. And this is no longer mainstream media, hear no evil, see no evil, hard reality. Bob, uh, I want to thank you for joining us. I feel like we only scratched the surface. We're going to do a follow-up on this, and I'm going to think of more questions to ask you. But you've given me a lot to think about, and you're going to be hearing from me in the very near future. So thanks so much for coming on the Common Sense Show. I really do do uh, game out the the, the the war scenarios that you come up with because I think that is really way some someone that learns well. So kudos to you, Dave, for coming up with that. That's a, a really good way to, to educate is putting it in a real-life scenario. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Bob. And uh, I'll be in touch for a follow-up, and I'll also be in touch as a customer. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Everybody else, thanks for joining us. We'll see, see you us. back here again Bye. next time.